do here this morning in the time that's allotted me is I'd like to take you to the book of Philippians. So if you want to be turning there, that would be great. And while you're turning there, could I just remind you here for the first few minutes of why Philippians is in your Bible? I know many of you know this, but it will serve us well to kind of review. Paul is on his second missionary journey. He took three and then a trip to Rome as a prisoner. But he's on his second missionary journey, and he's in a city called Troas. Troas, people, is just a simple word that just means Troy. It's actually Troy. A great church got planted in Troy. We don't know how many times Paul went to that church, but he was there a lot. He loved that church in Troy. And Paul was there on the second missionary journey, and one night Paul has a vision. And uh, we don't have visions anymore, people, because we've got the completed word of God. We don't need them. But Paul has a vision, and in that vision there's a man who's saying, in essence, Paul, please come to Macedonia. Please come to Macedonia. Folks, what's so glorious about that vision is that God, through this vision, is telling Paul, I want my gospel to go to Europe. It's always been a Middle East thing. But now let's take it to Europe. I'm so thankful for that because most of us have our heritage through some kind of European country. The gospel is now going to Europe. Macedonia was a, a good-sized country, and we're, we're told that Paul immediately set sail, and because of the direction he was going, it only took a day to get there. If he'd have been going the other way from Macedonia to Troas, it would have taken him three. But because of the trade winds, he got there in one day and made a beeline to a very significant city called Philippi. It was called Philippi, people, because it had been a military outpost that had been planted and named after Alexander the Great's daddy. It had always been a military outpost, but it, by now it's a, it's a good-sized city. And it was Paul's custom that when he would go to a city for the first time, he would make a beeline to the synagogue because he always had a platform there. Problem. There was no synagogue in Philippi. I am told that you need at least 11 Jewish males who've celebrated their bar mitzvah to have a synagogue. Evidently, there weren't that many in Philippi. However, Paul learned that there was a group of Jewish women who every Sabbath met down by the river. Jews like the water if they don't have a synagogue because they baptize converts. These women met by the river uh, every Saturday morning for evidently fellowship and a time of, of maybe singing and, and, and Bible study. And, and, and Paul heard about that, so he showed up. Now, folks, I hope you can visualize this in your mind's eye. There's a document that survives from the second century that describes what Paul probably looked like. Whether it's accurate or not, we have no idea. But here's what the document says. Paul was short, very short, bow-legged. He was bald, all godly men are. He had a very large nose and scars all over his face from all the beatings. Now, would you visualize that? Can you imagine a man like that showing up at a ladies' Bible study? Hi, ladies, can I take it today? <laughs> Evidently, they said yes, because he took it. And he preached the gospel, and gobs of them got saved. One of which was a woman by the name of Lydia. And Lydia was rather wealthy. She was a dyer of purple. Only royalty wore purple. And, and we know she was wealthy because the Bible tells us that the church that got started at Philippi met at her house. She was evidently a woman of means. Ladies, may I quickly add, you're so very significant to the health of this church. The church at Philippi got started because of women. Now, men got saved. Because Philippians is written to the bishops and deacons at the church at Philippi. But a church got planted, a great church. And folks, I am not understating anything when I tell you, and I'm not overstating anything when I tell you, that this church adored Paul. 
He was their church father. We don't know how long he was there. But a great church got planted and that church kept sending money to Paul over and over and over again over the years. Well, about 14 years later, word got back to this church at Philippi that their beloved Paul was now in prison. He was a prisoner of Nero. I don't know how much you know about history, but if you were a prisoner of Nero, it did not bode well for you. And word got back to the church of Philippi that their beloved Paul was in prison and they were immediately, immediately, as you can understand, they were immediately worried about two things. They were worried, first of all, what's going to happen to our Paul? He's the number one spokesman for the gospel in the European world. What in the world? We love that man. What's going to happen to him? He's our father spiritually, and we just adore him. And they were so concerned about Paul. And they were also very worried about the gospel. They loved the gospel. They see people, the, the gospel was brand new, and, and it was perceived as, as a little cult that was slangly referred to as the way because they were so narrow-minded that they believed there's only one way to get to heaven. Can you imagine? The way. They were worried about the gospel. What's going to happen to the gospel? Its number one spokesman is now in prison. What's going to happen? Oh, people, I love this. I love this. Evidently, the pastor of that church, and we have no idea who it was, but the pastor of that church got up one Sunday morning and said, could I get a volunteer? Would anybody be willing to walk the 700 plus miles from Philippi to Rome and minister to Paul? Could I get a volunteer? Oh, people, what a man. He's got one of the coolest names in the Bible. His name was Epaphroditus. Time out. I'm asking the Lord that before he takes me home that I could meet an Epaphroditus. I've never met one. I really haven't. And it's a cool name. And, and could I just put out a plea all of you ladies of marriageable age and childbearing age, would you pray about it, naming a son, Epaphroditus? We could call him Epi, we could call him Di, we could call him Tuss, you know, whatever you like. But what a cool name. Would you, would you pray about Let me tell you, there's a young couple in Pennsylvania. They're not normal there, but there's a young couple in Pennsylvania that came, came to me recently about a year ago when I was preaching there and said, Brother Mike, my wife is expecting a boy and we're going to name him Epaphroditus. I said, great. They said, we're going to make that his middle name. Not good enough. I wanted Epaphroditus' first name. Would you just pray about it, girls? Would you pray about it, ladies? But anyway, Epaphroditus said, I'll go. And folks, he did. Epaphroditus went. And let me tell you what he found. When he got there, Paul wasn't in prison. He wasn't in prison. Oh, he was a prisoner. But we're told that the Roman government would often allow unique, special prisoners a privilege of renting a house and being under house arrest where they were chained to a Praetorian guard 24-7 with about an 18-inch chain. Paul, that's where, that's where Epaphroditus found Paul. He was under house arrest. Well, friends, we don't know how long Epaphroditus was there, but he returned to Philippi, no doubt carrying this letter called Philippians in your Bible. And when you start reading Philippians, immediately Paul, because evidently Epaphroditus shared this with him, Paul immediately addresses their two worries, and he says this, Don't worry about me. I am right in the middle of God's will. He gives us that famous verse 12, The things that have happened to me have happened rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Folks, that flew in the face of Paul's critics. There were all kinds of people back then who were saying, oh, Paul's in prison because of God's judgment of what he has said about the Old Testament, about what he has said about Judaism, and God is judging Paul. 
And Paul says over and over again in the New Testament, no, I'm not under God's judgment. I'm right in the middle of his will. I am right where he wants me. Don't worry about me. And then he goes on and says this, don't worry about the gospel. The gospel is powerful, people. Don't worry about it. It does all very well, all by itself. And let me tell you how he knew that. He tells us that there was a revival. Folks, this absolutely amazes me. There's a revival going on in the Roman government. In fact, in chapter 4, he says, they of Caesar's household say hello. Tradition says that Nero's wife became a Christian. There's a revival, Paul says, going on in the Roman government. Folks, how in the world did that happen? Well, let me tell you about these Praetorian guards. They were, the Praetorian guard, was to the Roman army what the United States Navy SEALs of the Green Beret is to ours. They were specially chosen, specially trained, elite men. Historians tell us that a Praetorian guard would serve the Roman government for about 20 years. Then he was given a pension and property anywhere in the Roman Empire that he wanted. They were very elite troops. Now, folks, please understand, Paul was chained to a Praetorian guard 24-7. Historians tell us that a Praetorian guard would be chained to a prisoner like Paul in six-hour increments, which meant, people, that four different Praetorian guards would be chained to Paul every day. Now, I hope you'll appreciate the humor of this next statement. It's one thing to be chained to a guard. It's an entirely different dynamic to be chained to Paul. (laughs) Who's really chained Who's really the prisoner? They, these Praetorian guards, they saw everything. These guys were sharp. And they saw every reaction. Paul had nothing personal. They saw every interaction. They saw every word. They saw every reaction. And a whole gob of them got saved. They saw Paul doing miracles. He did miracles in Rome, we're told. He saw people, they saw people, Paul leading people to the Lord, one of which was Onesimus, that slave you read about in Philemon. Folks, they saw everything, and a gob of them got saved. Could I stop there for a moment? I wonder if somebody were chained to you, would they get saved? I mean, they saw everything. What you look at on the internet, what you watch on your TV, what you listen to, your reaction, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your parents. Would they get saved? That ought to be kind of convicting. And may I say something further? Every one of you are chained. You're chained to a home. You're chained to a neighborhood. You're chained to a job. You're chained to a church. You're chained to a marriage. God wants to use you. I hope you have the right kind of reaction. I hope the Lord is able to use you. He sure did, Paul. Well, Philemon, excuse me, Epaphroditus comes home and, 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 and Paul says, don't worry about the gospel. Then there's a revival going on in the Roman government. The gospel is powerful. And Americans, could I remind you? The gospel is powerful. The word of God is powerful. You don't need to marry it to a celebrity. You don't need to marry it to rock and roll. It does fine. All by itself, you just plant the seed. Could I get an amen? Amen. Then you come to our text this morning, people. You come to our text. And it's found in verse 27 of chapter 1. Would you look there with me, please? Chapter 1 and verse number 27. And when you get there, what I would like you to do, congregation, is when I count to three, I'd like you to give me, if you've got a King James Bible, I would like you to give me the very first word of verse 27. You know why? It's a biggie. It's a biggie. It's significant. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you there? Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, you guys do that well. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. 
very good. Now, let me tell you what that means. The word only is kind of what you, you, you ladies do when you're trying to get the attention of your husband and he's watching the, the, the Packers or the Colts. Hey, look at me. Kind of what your parents do when you're, and your teenage son is playing a video game. Hey, look at me. It's kind of, a, it's kind of an attention-getting word. And it, and it kind of implies, folks, that what I'm about to share with you is very, very important. I want you to catch this. And what I want you Bible students to understand this morning is that what Paul's doing to you is he's saying this. Hey, it's good to know about me. It's good to know about the power of the gospel. But I really want you to catch this. Oh, this is big time important. Not that other stuff isn't. It's good to know about that biographical stuff. Good to know. But I really, church, I really want you to catch this. What does he want you to catch, Christian? Well, let's read on, could we? Verse 27, only let your conversation, (laughs) what a word, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Would you look at me, please? Ladies and gentlemen, when Paul used that word conversation, you must know it rang their bells. It rang their bells. Let me tell you why. There's something I haven't told you about. I know some of you know this already, but there's something I haven't told you about. Philippi was very unique. Philippi was what was called a Roman colony. Now, I know who I'm looking at. I'm looking at Americans. All of you have had some history. And when I say the word colony, you immediately think of pioneers, log cabins, shoe buckles, muskets, deer, turkey, Thanksgiving, pilgrims, homeschool, tough. Well, folks, that's not really fair. That's not really fair. We have 13 colonies. We have 13 stripes on our flag because when you came the first 100 years of our country, when you came to America, you were coming to a piece of England away from England. That's why I'm preaching this morning in English. Now, I may be slaughtering it, but I'm doing my best. I'm preaching in English. We're talking in English. You know why? Because we were very, the first 100, 150 years of our country, we were very, very faithful to the crown. We were very faithful to England. We paid taxes to England. We were loyal to England. We fought for England. We were very much an English colony. We were a piece of England away from England. Well, people, that's what Philippi was. Philippi was a piece of Rome away from Rome, and they were proud of it. Oh, to be a Philippian. Oh, they were very, very proud. Historians tell us that if you were born in Philippi, you were automatically a Roman citizen. Folks, that was very significant. If you were a Roman citizen, there were taxes you didn't have to pay. There were laws you didn't have to obey. There were tolls you didn't have to pay. You were very, very privileged. Folks, they were so proud of that privilege. We're told by historians that you women that lived in Philippi, oh, you stayed up on the latest fashion of Rome and you wore the latest fashion and you wore your hair in the latest style of Rome. You men of Philippi, you didn't have long hair like Bohemians. You cut your hair like every Roman man did. Long hair was considered weird, uneducated, ignorant. Cut your hair. They cut their hair. You men of the business world, you didn't speak the same guttural Greek like the rest of Macedonia. You spoke the official language of Rome, Latin. They were very, very proud of that identity. And you know why? 
because there were only about 200 cities. There were hundreds of thousands of cities in the Roman Empire. There were only about 200 that were Roman colonies. They were so very, very proud. And let me tell you why. If you were a Roman citizen, people, here's, let me boil it down for you. You were privileged. You were very, very privileged. That's Paul's point. You're privileged. Folks, have you ever enjoyed privileges? Do you know what it's like to be privileged? Can I give you a, a dumb example? I'm an evangelist. My wife doesn't come with me often. So there, there are reasons for that that I'll be glad to share with you on, in private. But, but uh, So most of my gigs, most of my preaching stuff, I, I fly. I, and and I'm, a, I'm a frequent flyer member of Delta Airlines. I'm a million miler, million miler. And so I'm a platinum member of their frequent flyers club. I, I know you're sitting there going, ooh, it is new. Let me tell you why. Very often I'll get an email just before I fly or I'll be at the gate. And I'll hear on the loudspeaker at the airport, would Mike Schrock please come to the desk? I sure will. I know what's about to happen. I get up to the desk. They ask me for my ticket. They take it and they rip it up. They slide a new ticket. I have just been upgraded to first class. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It is a new. Let me tell you why. In case you've never flown first class before, let me tell you what happens. You get to get on the airplane first. Who it is. Let me tell you why. You have first dibs at all the overhead compartment space. I travel heavy. I have a trumpet case in one hand and a briefcase full of hair products in another one. And I get first dibs at all that overhead compartment space. And then people, oh, stay with me, stay with me. It gets better. I then sit down in the front of the airplane where they have sofa chairs instead of way back where they have benches. And I sit down and I sink into cushion and immediately, poof, there's a flight attendant in my face. Mr. Schrock, what would you like to drink? Well, I think this morning I'll have a fresca on the rocks. Thank you. And they run to their little kitchenette. They bring back me a fresca. And there I sit in the front of the plane in my cushy chair while all these poor peons get on and walk back to their <laughs> sardine-like seats. It's kind of fun. Not that they have to suffer, but it's kind of fun being privileged like that. I kind, of, I kind of enjoy it. Folks, can you imagine? Here's my point. Can you imagine a whole lifetime like that? That's what it was like to be a Roman citizen. You were so privileged. Now, Paul, why did you use that word? Oh, folks, this is so, so good. Hold your finger here in chapter 1, verse 27. Turn forward one page to chapter 3. I want you to see something. Paul's going to use the exact same word again. Chapter 3. Look with me at verse number 20. Are you ready? Are you ready? Chapter 3, verse 20. Say amen if you're there. Good. All right. Great. Now watch this. For our what, church? Conversation. Same word. Is in something far better than first class. Heaven. If you're saved here this morning. You are privileged. You've got reservations in first class called heaven. And folks, it even gets bitter. Not bitter, better. It even gets better. I told you I would slaughter English. I, I, it gets better. Let me, let me tell you about you. When you pray, young people, when you pray, God listens to you. He does it with everybody else here in Lafayette. The only prayer he hears from them is, oh, God, would you forgive me? I'm a loser. Please save me. That's the only thing he'll hear them say. But when you pray, no matter what you pray, God says, bring it. Bring it. I want to hear you. 
the almighty God, holding them all this stuff together, wants to hear from peon me. I am, you are, so incredibly privileged. Okay, now go back to chapter 1, verse 27. All right, let's go back. Now, why, why is Paul telling this? Let's read on, okay? For our conversation, folks, and what, I, what I didn't tell you yet, let me, give, let me give you one little tidbit. The word conversation, for those of you that really get into the Bible, you'll find this interesting. The word conversation comes from the same Greek word that we get our word politics from. Politics. When you and I talk about politics, what are we doing? They always say, oh, no, 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 come on, grow up. When we talk about politics, what are we doing? We're talking about the way that we conduct ourselves as citizens, as citizens of America. What laws we like, what laws we don't, what direction we're going, what direction we like, what direction we don't. We're just talking about the way we conduct ourselves as citizens. Paul wants you to know you're a citizen of heaven. That's far better than first class in Delta. You're a citizen. So having said that now, let's read on, okay? For, so, so he says, only, now catch this, this is really important, Paul says, good to know about that biographical stuff, good to know about the power of the gospel, but I really want you to catch this, only let your conversation be as it, what does it say, folks? Are you becoming to the gospel? Are you becoming? Do you know what that word becoming means? This last summer, my wife and I, celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary. It was a big deal for us. And um, I just want you to know that she's learned a thing or two about me in those 40 years, most of it bad. Um, But she's learned a thing or two about me. And one of the things she's learned about me is the fact that she thinks, I don't know what you think, but she thinks I'm pretty good with color. I, I, I like color. I like to match things. I'm not one of these, but I, I, like, I like, you know, men's clothing can be so boring sometimes, but, but she thinks I'm pretty good, okay? So almost on a daily, well, definitely a weekly basis, she'll, she'll ask me questions like this. She'll say, Michael, do you think these earrings go with this top? Or she'll say, Michael, do you think this sweater goes with this skirt? Or would you wear, what, what color shoes do you think I should wear with this? She's asking my opinion all the time, and I like it, so be quiet. She's asking my opinion all the time about what she's going to wear. What she's going to wear. Folks, why is she doing this? Why? Because she's about to stand in front of a class at Bob Jones when she taught nursing, or she's about to go out in public, and she wants to look right. She wants to be becoming. And my friend, you need to understand here this morning that it is so very important to God that you look right when it comes to being a Christian, a citizen of heaven. Citizens of heaven act and live differently than citizens of the world. There's something different about you. There's something different about me. We don't do the same stuff. We don't talk like the world. We don't listen. We're, 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 we're different. Like, like E.R. Jordan used to say when he was still living, and he planted over 100 churches in the Northeast area, he used to say, when I got saved, God gave me such a jerk, I've been out of joint with the world ever since. Do you understand that when you look right, You're becoming to the gospel. God wants you to look right. Your life is different. The way that you live, my friend, the way you walk, teenagers, listen carefully, the way that you live is very, very important to God. Adults, the way you live, retirees, the way you live is very important to God. And he's saying, I want you to know about that biographical stuff. I want you to know about the biographical But I really want you to catch this. You need to have a life that is becoming to the gospel. Well, folks, what's the gospel? What in the world is the gospel? When you say the gospel, what are we talking about? 
Well, some of you smarties would say, well, that's easy, Mike. It's the good news. Okay, well, let's take that a little further. What's the good news? The, the good news is simply, I've been forgiven. You can be forgiven. Forgiven from what? Sin. Sin. You show me a real Christian. Young people, are you listening? You show me a real Christian, I'll show you somebody who way down deep in their heart, they hate sin. They hate sin. And when they let sin have a way in their life, it bugs them. They're convicted. Oh, I shouldn't have looked at that. I shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have listened to that. I shouldn't have said that. That's a becoming Christian. We hate sin. When people watch you, are they looking at a life lady? Are they looking at a life, sir, that, oh, boy, they're different. They don't get into it. They don't talk like I do. She doesn't dress like I do. They don't post stuff on Facebook like I, like, like I do. That's what the world's saying about you, if you're good looking. There's something different about the way you talk, the way you act, the way you treat each other. There's something markedly different. And my friend, that is becoming to God. That is a becoming Christian. That is a Christian that looks right. But I wonder how many of you are like a Christian I want to talk to you about. I was doing a revival a couple of years ago in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. On Tuesday, the pastor of the church took me to a restaurant it was a nice restaurant. It was one of those restaurants that has flat screen TVs all over the place where you would love to go to on Saturday during college football season, you know, watch all the games. And one of those, but it was Tuesday in January. There's no football on, so they're all dark except for the one that the maitre d' sat us down at this table and there was a very large flat screen TV right there. They had the sound turned way down. You couldn't really hear the sound, but the images were still coming on and they were, they were showing music videos. And so here, here I was with a pastor. He's just a few years older than I am. And we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, a young lady came on that screen. This young lady, if I were to say her name, all of you probably would recognize it. She's very popular and she's very, very attractive. And that young lady came on the screen and she started moving. Oh, I want you to hear me. And pastor, I'll be tactful. But she started moving in a way that was commanded and dictated by her music. Some of you crybabies need to grow up and realize that music always has a message, even without words. And that young lady, that was a, that was a weak amen, but that, uh, the, the, she started moving in a way that was absolutely commanded by her music. Folks, she was wearing an outfit. She was wearing an outfit, and I'm about to sell ice to Eskimos. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But she was wearing an outfit that just said, I'm ready to get it on. I'm ready for the party scene. I'm ready for the fornication scene. Bring it. Folks, the reason I'm sharing this with you, and I hope I haven't been too graphic, Pastor, but the reason I'm sharing this with you, church, is because I know something about that young lady. I have read repeatedly in the media, she claims to be a Christian. I'm not here to argue. I'm not here to debate that. I'm going to take her for her word. I, I, I believe she probably is. She's a Christian. But folks, can you connect the dots? Do you understand what's happening? My Bible, your Bible says, men, flee fornication. Ladies, flee fornication. Run. That's what that word mean, flee means. Run. Go the opposite direction. Don't let curiosity get the best of you. Run, young men, young people. Run, Christian. Flee it. It hurts. It's going to damage you. Go like Joseph. But there my Christian sister was saying, uh, no, Mike, don't flee. Let me uh, help you go to it. Uh, folks, do you understand just how 
weird? She is? What's the opposite of attractive? What's the opposite of becoming? Can I use the word ugly? I think I heard somebody say it over here. Ugly. Without offending any of you, can I give you the truth? That attractive young lady is ugly. I am not here to debate whether or not she's saved. I'm going to assume that. But she's exactly what God said through Paul. Don't! Don't! Catch this now. This is important. Only let your lifestyle be as it becometh. She, people, do you understand this? She is hurting our cause. The greatest thing that could happen in her life is for her pastor to get in her life and say, um, young lady, no. Bad choice. You're being a fool. Stop it. Praise God for a pastor that's willing to do that. Amen? Well, friends, I hope I'm not describing you. I hope you're not hurting our cause where you work. I hope you're not hurting our cause where you live. I hope you're not hurting our cause when people see you interact with your wife. I hope you're attractive to the gospel. And by the way, folks, if you are, what do you look like? If you're attractive, what do you look like? Paul tells you. Could we finish the verse? Let's read on. Verse 27. He says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether, oh, what, what an interesting phrase, watch this, that whether I come or see you or else be absent, I may, next word out loud, hear of your affairs. Now, th- this is free. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with my message, but I'm going to share it anyway. I want all of you to know that when it comes to this whole lifestyle thing, every one of you, every one of you have a reputation. We hear about you. Others hear about you. You're all like that. I'm sorry, you're never an island to yourself. Every one of you have people that are watching you. And Paul says, boy, I sure hope I hear about you. Proverbs says, even a child is known by his ways, whether he be evil or whether he be good. Every one of you have a reputation. It doesn't matter if your pastor's there. That's what Paul's saying. He said, whether I'm there or gone, I sure hope I hear that you're good looking. You're the right kind. You got a good lifestyle. And my friend, when you are good looking, what do you look like? Well, let's read on. That I may may hear of your affairs, he says. That, now watch this. I'm going to have you say a phrase out loud, okay, congregation? Watch this now. That I may hear of your affairs. Are you with me? That ye, next two words out loud. Stand fast in the spirit. Would you look at me, please? Stand fast. Ladies and gentlemen of Lafayette, God is honored when you stand fast. You're good looking when you stand fast. You're attractive to heaven when you stand fast. What in the world does that mean? What does stand fast mean? Well, let me help you. It's a military term. You doing okay? I'm a little bit tired. You're a little bit tired. I I bet you are. It's a military term. It's a military term. And the best definition I've ever heard of this term is this. Stay in your foxhole. Stay in your foxhole. Now, what in the world is a foxhole? Well, let me tell you. It's a military order where your commander, whoever's in charge of you, says, soldier, I want you to dig a hole there for your protection, get in it, and stay there and protect this area. Don't move. Well, folks, why would anybody dig a foxhole? Because they were commanded. Christian, do you have any commands? No. You got a whole book of them there on your lap. Dig a foxhole, stay there, and protect that area. Don't move. Don't move. 
Well, folks, would you think about this for a moment? Why in the world would a soldier move? If he's been ordered to stay there and get in there and stay and don't move, well, why would he move? Cowardness. Fear. You see Christians moving, backing off the Bible? I'll tell you why. They're afraid. They're cowards. A coward's not attractive to God. A coward is ugly. I would venture a guess that that young lady on that screen, kind of a coward. She's given in. Got to look like the world. She's moved. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you people about a really good-looking Christian that I've read about. Maybe you know her name. She's been on Fox News recently. I think last August I saw her on Fox News. But let me tell you about a young lady. Her name is Jaylene, Jaylene Daniels. It used to be Hinkle, but she got married. Her name's Jaylene Daniels. Let me tell you about her. As a teenager, she went to a Christian school in Colorado in Denver. And she played soccer, and she's really good. Really good soccer player. And it had always been a lifelong dream. She, would, she wanted to just desperately, she would love to play on the United States women's national team. They're really good. They're always winning the gold medal. They're winning the World Cup for women. They're really, really good. It was her life dream. I would love to play on the women's national team, but she's a very much a true Christian and takes a stand for the Lord. She's good. She's a good player. She went to the University of North Carolina on a soccer scholarship. That's how good she was. She was a star. And she got selected a few years ago to be on the United States national team. She's good. Well, Jaylene was playing, and one week, the United States national team decided, we're going to promote the LGBTQTRZWXYZ agenda. And we're going to put that rainbow that they stole from the Lord, we're going to take that rainbow and put it on our national team uniform. Jaylene went to her coaches. She said, you know I'm a Christian. I'm against that kind of activity. I'm against that lifestyle. Please don't make me wear that rainbow. I can't. You know what they said? Tough. Too bad. You need to wear it anyway. She got kicked off the team. She wouldn't wear it. She got kicked off the team. She played for the professional team in North Carolina called the New North Carolina, fittingly, North Carolina Courage. Well, don't you know that the Courage decided Hey, let's have a night where we, on our uniforms, on our uniforms. Jaylene went to her coaches. I can't do that. I can't do that. You know what they did? They said, you don't have to. You don't have to. You know, folks, you know what I'm describing? I'm describing to you a very attractive Christian. She knows what the Bible says. She doesn't care what's politically correct. She doesn't care what her other teammates are doing. She's saying, as for me in my life, I'm going to take a stand and stay in my foxhole. If I ever meet Jaylene, I'm going to give her a big hug, a $20 bill, and tell her to have a Starbucks on me. She's one of my heroes. I just did some research on her here recently. You know what's happened? She's back on the national team. They've let her back on. They're not wearing that rainbow anymore. If I ever meet her, Yes, ma'am. I want to be like you. I want to be like you. I hope I'm just like you when I grow up. You are, you are one of my heroes. Folks, do you understand? Do you understand what God's asking you? He's saying, listen, Christian, right here in Indiana, learn what the Bible says and obey it and live it and don't move. I'm so glad, folks. It's such a breath of fresh air to come into a church auditorium and you know what's not up there? A drum set. You've kept your music pure. Good for you, pastor. Good for you, church. Good for you, deacons. I know some of you are crybabies and thinking, well, we are. Oh, shut up. 
You, when you take a stand on the word of God, you are good looking. You stand fast. You don't move. Even though it's popular to do this and to wear this and to drink this and to talk like this, not you. Not you. You know better. You are a citizen of heaven. Do you know for sure you're a heavenly citizen? I sure hope so. And if you do, I sure hope you're attractive. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for the attention that this audience has given this morning. Lord, we have looked at a very potent verse, very powerful verse. And God, I pray that you would continue to use it. Lord, we've come to the most important part of this message. As people are forced to make some kind of decision, everybody here that's heard, God, I pray that you would use it.